What do you think? I'm Al. I'm C. And uh, today we're going to be reviewing the unbearable weight of massive talent. Direct- dun dun dun. Directed by Tom Gormican and uh, starring the incredible. No, the man, the myth, the meme. Nicholas Cage. Cage or Nick Cage. Right, right. So, uh, so see, uh, Nick Cage. <laughs> he, uh, this is a man that has reached a new level of existence, and I think everybody knows it because he is one of the few people who it's just he's so amazing and so bad and so cool all in one like he he has broken past any other possible thing just to be it, oh, okay I'll put let me let me be more reasonable he was good then he was bad then he was funny bad and now he's good again and it's just it's he because of that he's gained such respect among the millennials and the uh, the zoomers as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so what what was your first exposure to the cage uh, okay so my first exposure to the cage let's see hmm. so hmm I have to think okay so I'm sure I had seen him in other movies, but honestly, the first time I remember Nicolas Cage being talked about was when my parents were talking about the film Adaptation, which got him an Oscar nomination at the time. Uh, That was mentioned, and everyone was talking how this was a brilliant performance of his and how amazing it was, and it was the only time I've ever heard Nick Cage being discussed in the way one would discuss a very respected, award-winning actor because he was nominated for an Oscar for it, and it was kind of a, not an adult film, but a more serious film with some nihilistic qualities and how he just nailed the performance. Mm Mm-hmm. My exposure to Nicolas Cage, um, I was probably a young kid and Face Off was on the television. Mm. And I think I, I, I just simply remember being very confused because I saw like the the first 20 minutes or no, no, like the first 10 minutes of it. And it was obvious that he was a bad guy. And then, you know, I left and played with my friends or something. And I came back inside the house, and he was the good guy. So you missed, like, the most important scene. No, I mean, I was, like, what, seven, eight at sure. the time? So, so yeah, no, I, I was very confused, but I was very captivated by what he was doing. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure I probably saw National Treasure not long after that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to think of, like, a movie that I, where I was like, wow, this is really good. And it was Nicolas Cage. Um, probably when I saw, not The Rock. It wasn't actually I didn't see The Rock till I was in college. Wait, are you asking like what the la- the last time you experienced something of his that was really good? No, 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 no. Like oh. the first time I was like, oh, this guy's like a, an amazing actor. I'm trying to think. Oh. Um, I know everybody loves him in Raising Arizona, but I I have very I know I saw it as a kid as well, but. I mean, Raising Arizona, I know this sounds really crazy. It's not as out there as Face Off, so I I don't remember much about it. Um, I mean, I've actually never seen it myself, but... um, 
You know, you know what it probably was, and I know this sounds really like weird, but it was probably that Christmas movie, The Family Man, where I was like, oh, this guy's <laughs> this guy's a good actor, right? Mm-hmm. And then I saw The World Trade Center, The Weatherman again, always on cable. I I'm trying to think the first time I actually went to a movie theater to see explicitly Nick Cage. Um, I remember Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. All right. Well, listen, that's your own fault. <laughs> I know. I know. What was your like first like, oh, I'm going to go to the theater to see Nick Cage? Um, honestly, it was National Treasure, I think. My, wow. My, so my sister, was, for some reason, my sister was really interested in seeing it. And I easily hopped on that bandwagon, too. Um, I'll fully admit that. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was like, I, enjo- I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. But I remember that was the first time where it was like, okay, I am going to try to go see this specific movie and it is starring Nick Cage like there's no Mm. way around that when I saw Adaptation which I was actually very young when I saw Adaptation like I saw it like when it was released on DVD very shortly after wow I I was a little young for it so it's like I got it but not fully I think as a kid I did just some of the more nihilistic themes were a little were no not a little were over my head as a kid Mm -hmm. um but then I watched it years later in college, and I was like, oh, this is an amazing film. This is this is extraordinary. Yeah. No, so, like, I have never I never saw any of his, like, Disney movies. Because he, he, he wasn't with Disney for a good minute. Like, oh, people, yeah. people forget he made that adaptation of The Sorcerer's Apprentice, where he's the sorcerer. Yeah. Um, I, I do think I ended up seeing that, like, on DVD or something that my sister rented. Uh, but, yeah, no, uh but that's fair to say that was in the that was in the bad era the era nobody liked do you think so you think his bad era started in 2010 because that 2010 um, was also the was also the year he was in kickass so no well then no i said that was in the bad era the bad era started okay so when did cuz the bad era it wasn't like he was in a bad movie and then he didn't he he was only in bad movies for a while that like his bad era began while he was still in a few good movies, but okay. I guess the uh, the Wicker Man is like the okay. prominent that, starting that, point. That's what I was gonna say. So he made uh, three. He made four movies. No, three movies in two thousand and six: The Ant Bully, World Trade Center, and The Wicker Man. Oh well, that's that's the beginning. Yeah, then yeah. They're all that, that's the beginning. Because then the next yeah. year he does Ghost Rider. Yeah. Then he, Which, but Ghost Rider was a hit in the box office, so that's why it? he was. Well, that's the only reason why he was able to propel propel this era of bad movies, or it's one of the only reasons. Because every once in a while, he'd end up in something that did well, like mm-hmm. Ghost Rider. Remember, Al, there's a sequel to Ghost Rider. They wouldn't make a sequel to it unless it made money. Yeah, but also remember that it was um, Sony's like, like quote unquote uh, horror movie division, which was which is code for like this is where we do our cheap like our, our cheap genre movies that we know aren't going to make a lot of movies they were the ones who produced it but well so the other thing that well actually and and I'll, I'll summarize this real quick ghost rider was an attempt to revive a potential weird version of the avengers actually because early on so they originally there's a version of the avengers that was supposed to come out in the early 2000s or early you know early 2000s and it was going to be Blade, Hulk, Daredevil, um, Ghost Rider, and someone else. There was someone else involved. Doctor and they, Strange? 
maybe, maybe Doctor Strange, and they were all going to fight some greater evil of some kind. Mm-hmm. But they were going to be the first Avengers, and it was the idea. The idea was that it's these monsters coming together, I, and then through that, the, uh, the Marvel superheroes were going to come to be eventually. I, I don't think they were going to be the Avengers. That sounds more like maybe the comic book defenders. I think. But okay, either way, that was like that was going to be the. Um, I thought it really was going to be the Avengers, but no, 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 it was. It was going to be um, like I. I, I'm not doing any research, but off the top of my head, that roster I do believe is the Defenders roster, which they were like, they they did like the um, occult. Uh, they fought like the occult uh, bad okay. guys of Marvel. So then, if that's if that's the case, because I'm I'm less I know Marvel very well, but not as much as you. But I will say, if that's the case, that was still going to be the int- original introduction into the Marvel universe, or the, or not, like a like a super team. Yeah, that was going to be the first super okay. team. Okay, because, all right, so after Ghost Rider, we have next, Book Ooh. of Secrets. I don't remember that one. Uh, everyone says, like, it's really, really bad. I think I've only ever saw it once. Never Bangkok it. Dangerous. Which, here's the thing about that. That's a remake directed by the same exact director. Like, he directed the original Bangkok Dangerous, and then he decided to, like, remake it shortly after in America with Nicolas Cage. Oh, well, <laughs> okay, that's a that's an idea. Uh, yeah. So I so this is this is actually kind of weird. My mom rented Knowing the 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 the, oh, the, the movie he did with the guy who directed The Crow. Oh, I know. The, I'm aware of Knowing's existence, and she liked it. She um, liked it. Yeah, weirdly. Uh, then he does G Force, which was the the Disney movie about the guinea pigs. Oh. Then he uh, then he does Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, which I think is really good. But it's zany in a way where it's funny, but in a black comedy kind of way. So th- I think that's legitimately a good movie. Mm-hmm. He, he voices the professor in the animated version of Astro Boy. Then oh. he does Kick-Ass, which is everyone says is one of his best things. And the, Well, that's the thing. So Kick-Ass for me was like the beginning of, oh, he's getting good again. Now keep in mind. He was still in some really bad stuff before mm-hmm. that ended, but Kick-Ass was the moment when he reminded people, I can still act. Yeah, because he doesn't make a movie that's like considered good until 2013 with The Crudes. So that's three years. Mm. Um, then after The Crudes, he does Joe, which is also 2013, and it's also very good. I, I think I think Joe has one of his best performances overall. That That's actually the movie he did with uh, David Gordon Green that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And later on in our review, I'll explain why that David Gordon Green connection is important. Uh, then he does a bunch of movies I've never heard of before. Apparently, he did a remake of Left Behind. which Yes, he did. And that. So, OK, so here's the thing. His beginning of his return is coincided with what's widely agreed as one of his worst moments on film or with film. And that's, you know, he does kick ass, which for me was like, okay, he reminded people he could act. And then he does left behind and it's considered atrocious. Oh my God. I'm, I'm like looking at this. I I have not heard of any of these films. Uh, Yeah, exactly. He was really in the dumps for a while. And like, he was in Snowden. I didn't know that. Oh, my huh. God. That's okay. Um, then he doesn't, again, so so I, is Snowden a good movie? <laughs> never seen it. No, i never seen it either. So, okay. So we got Joe in 2013. But see what I'm saying is, so he's on the rise, but he still does some schlock for a little while. Yeah. There's these overlapping yeah. things. Yeah. 
it's only with 2017 when he makes uh, mom and dad that he starts doing like still small budget stuff but but stuff that at least can be considered decent you know well that's the thing is he suddenly made this shift for a while where he went he found more in fact he kind of this is referenced in the movie he searches out for more independent people but mm-hmm. with higher quality or better more mm-hmm. interesting concepts mm-hmm. yeah so he does mom and dad in 2017 he does mandy in 2018 and yeah now we're in the like you said we're in where he's doing like this weird stuff that takes advantage of the reputation he said yeah um, all right so uh, let's watch the trailer for the unbearable weight of massive talent, and we'll begin with our review. Here we go. I mean, also for the record, let's not forget Pig. Oh yeah, Pig. Pig is an amazing, people, ladies and gentlemen. It's it was, I believe, my top, my second most favorite movie of last and- year. And for the record, I remember because I saw it with uh, my ex and I walked out and I immediately like told you that night when I came home, I said, you're going to love this movie and you need to see it in theaters. I did. And no joke, I cried at least three different times in that movie. Didn't Um, expect that part. Yeah, no, but you know, it, it is what it is. All right. So here we go. The trailer for The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent starring the one, the only, the Nicolas Cage. Oh my God. I love you. Nick Cage. Nick, you've been living at the Sunset Tower for over a year. They love having me there. You owe them $600,000. Okay, I'm gonna deal with all that, but I'm gonna get this next wrong. And when I do, all of that changes. Then I'm back. Not that you went anywhere. Nicholas Cage, oh my God, I love you. <laughs> he was so good in The Rock. What about Gone in 60 Seconds? Have you seen Croods 2? No, I'm 44 years old. Why would I see Croods 2? I've seen Face Off and Con Air. We got another offer. What's it about? You head to southern Spain and you attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party. I would never do that. It's a million bucks, Nick. I'll take it. The guy that owns this house, what's his name? Javi. Yeah, Javi. Mr. Cage. Excuse me. Is Javi going to want me to, uh, you know? I'm not sure I understand. Look, it's Javi. I am Javi. Nick Cage. Nicholas Cage? That's freaking cool. I am so happy that you're here. Is this supposed to be me? It's grotesque. I'll give you 20000 for it. What have you got there? Divine inspiration. I'm paranoid. Let's just get up on the count of three and run. They're coming! Grab my hand. You're heavier than you look. I have a very big head. You go! I'll never forget you, Rams. Mr. Cage? It turns out we could have just walked around. Wow, yes, so. <laughs> That's a great trailer. Yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, so, um, again, this is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, directed by Tom Gormigan, who, this is his sophomore uh, 
uh, film. He first came onto the scene as the writer-director of the Miles Teller, Zac Efron, and uh, Michael B. Jordan movie, That Awkward Moment. And I've never seen that, have you? Uh, no. Um, I, I, I never heard a lot of things about it. I heard genuinely nothing. It came and went yeah, real it came, quick. Yeah, it, it came and went. But then uh, Tom Gormigan wrote this, and in 2019, it got voted into the blacklist, which... Yes. Is like legendary. A, yeah, it's like a list of the best unproduced screenplays in Hollywood for that year. And these days, most of them get produced now. Yeah, no, it's literally like a formality at this point. Like, if you get in, it's like, well, someone's going to make this. Like, even like uh, in the in the in the top ten of the blacklist, at least the bottom five get turned into direct to DVD movies. It's yeah. instantaneous. Yeah. So uh, what this movie's about is basically a uh, Nicholas Cage plays a fictional version of himself who uh, is falling on hard times, a little bit reflected of, of his actual life, and mm-hmm. his agent convinces him to uh, take a million dollars to be a guest of honor at this uh, wealthy man's birthday party in Spain. Nick Cage at first scoffs at the idea. He's like, I don't want to do it. And uh, then he decides he needs to do it uh, for the sake of kind of still having his family in his life and being able to get all his, uh, all his shit together, in essence. Yeah. He owes a lot of money in general. And, and as, as Al said, just to, and this, I think, and talking about anything about Nick Cage's life is weirdly relevant to this film. There is a reason why Nick Cage was in so many bad movies. Like, yes, he's a journeyman. He just loves to be in all kinds of different stuff. So that may have helped determine the types of movies he was in a little bit. But the reason why there's such an, there was such an abundance of these not high quality movies for a while was because he accrued massive, and I mean massive amounts of debt on his own and during the housing crisis. So it really became a huge issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, not that, not that like they go into a lot of detail over why he's broke. It's just, it, it's one of those things that's like has become common knowledge. Although Nicolas Cage would uh, would argue that while you know he did have money problems, he never declared bankruptcy. You know, he was just you know trying to get by. Um, so he he takes off he takes this offer from this wealthy Spaniard, and like right before the party, the CIA gets him and is like, "Hey, this this guy is actually an arms dealer, and we want you to help us take him down." And that's pretty much the setup of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. This film sells itself as a celebration of the pop culture figure that is Nicolas Cage. I mean. Yeah. This is a movie acknowledging the meme. That's really what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, then you're internet savvy. And if you're internet savvy, you know that Nicolas Cage has become a meme. He, he is a meme. Um, whether to his chagrin or to his glee, he has a reputation chagrin. online. Or chagrin. Stop correcting me on this podcast. I, Who do you I, think I, you I, are? I'm, I'm C and I'm going to do that. Uh, C stands for cunt, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and <laughs> and Al stands for uh, Al. Albi- albino bastard. No, 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 to all albinos out there. Listen, I'm a daywalker. I have nothing against. Oh God, there. no, that that was actually no. really good. <laughs> See, no, no, th- no. This is what happens when mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage is brought into into the into the space into can our I, into our conversational space. Can I also just add that, you know, usually when we do these reviews, it's 
about one to two days after we've seen the movie, either for scheduling reasons or just because we want we need some time to think about it. Guys, we saw this movie 20 minutes ago. Yeah. So we, we're, we're filled fresh. with the aura of Nicolas Cage, the essence of the cage. The high of the cage. Yes. Yes. How has there not been a marijuana strain that's called Nicolas Cage? There has I don't, to be. I, I don't know, but uh, you got to patent that, see? You got to oh, patent that. Yeah, patent that. So if, 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 if anyone out there makes a strain of marijuana called the Nicolas Cage, you have to is, give C money. Yeah, you got to give Even C money. Even though you don't know who I am or exactly. know where I am, you exactly. have to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. So, so like we were let's say back, back to the, back to the back to the conversation of, of Nick Cage. So he's he's a meme, um, and this this movie is an acknowledgement and kind it's of a, a it's a straight up love letter. Yes, that that's the best way to put it. It's a love letter to Nicolas Cage. It's a love letter to the roles that made him an A lister. The um, the uh, I guess you would say the Novu shaman acting style that he is famous and or infamous for. The what? You, so um, when uh, when Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance came out, uh, mm. someone asked Nicolas Cage, what's your acting style? And he said it was Novu shaman acting. I'm, I, or I'm, I'm maybe I'm, I'm saying it wrong, but it was and it was. A, what what did he define that as? What does that mean? Um, let me let me actually. I, I'm pretty sure it's one of Nicolas Cage's like most uh, infamous quotes. Give oh, me Jesus. one. Give me one second. Da, 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 da. So you know, while you're looking it up, I just want to add. There's a scene in Ghost Rider where he's shirtless, and somehow Nick Nicolas Cage has washboard abs. And it's clear that they're CGI'd on there. Did you know to this day, he still says they weren't? Really? And if, guys, guys, look up the clip. It's right before he's going to do like an insane jump. And he, at one point, he, he's shirtless in like his trailer getting ready for the show. And he looks at himself and he's like ripped. But it's, and it's, it doesn't look real. It looks fake. It's an, and it's impossible in, in, in so many ways, because he's got these abs, but the rest of the body still looks like his, niche, his Nick Cage body. But to this day, he has sworn up and down that those are real. Okay, so, uh, so kind of back to his act, what his self-described acting style. He calls it Novu Shamanism. He calls it the Novu Shamanism acting method. He first brought this up when he was doing press for Ghost Rider 2 Spirit of Vengeance. Mm-hmm. And he talks about Shamans were really actors that were just going through stories in the village and trying to bring answers to whatever the crisis was in the village. Uh, The process itself is about how do you augment your imagination in a healthy way so that you can believe you're these characters. Uh, You don't feel like you're acting. You feel like you're being. So that's his that's how he describes his acting style. Nobu shamanism. And in fact, Mm. Uh, the movie has a throw. Well, it's not really a throwaway line. No, he's, uh, he does say it. He does mention it like in the movie. And so, yeah, this this movie kind of celebrates the way he approaches acting. Uh, the movie celebrates. It, it really just is a celebration of Nick Cage, both as the actor, as the public icon and as, you know, as legitimately a the force of nature that he is that he may not have complete control over i mean you know we he can't control the narrative about himself but he so and actually that speaking of him being a literal force of nature 
uh, our mutual friend Jay, who one day you guys will meet on this podcast, um, explained that he so he's worked on a number of film sets and uh, knows obviously through because he's worked worked on a number of film sets he knows people who have also worked on film sets and he knows somebody who worked on the set for Mom and Dad uh, quite literally and apparently. Um, this is where he learned that you have to, if you're ever directing Nicolas Cage, you have to embrace the energy full in full swing. And one of the way directors do that is if it's anything but an insert shot, they basically, they do the take, the take they like, and then the safety, um, and then any others they need to do. And then they do something called the Nick take, where basically it's, they, they don't give him direction and they just let him have fun with it. And apparently, this is why we've gotten some of those really insane performances, because what the edit the director has chosen in the editing room, or what the editor has chosen, is in fact the Nick take. Um, but there are famous Nick takes that aren't seen. Um, the most at one being in Mom and Dad. Now, audiences out there, please understand I am just directly quoting this. But apparently, there's a scene where he's like running after his own kids and trying to kill them, and they're supposed to do like a joke from like, from um, uh, it's supposed to be like a reference to here's Johnny when he like bangs, through the, smashes through the wall. But apparently they give him a take and they reset up the fake wall and they do it all. And apparently he bangs through or he hits it through and then he pops through. He literally apparently goes, get over here, faggots. And literally it just cuts. <laughs> and apparently it was a Nick take they couldn't use, but. I just like think that if he's willing to go to that level f- to call for his deranged father to call these fake kids faggots while he's banging through the wall is just amazing. Yeah, this this is the energy that Nick Cage brings into each performance he ever does. And the director, Tom Gormican, sees this and he's making a love letter to, to this style of acting, this this energy he has. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing when the when the film is going through it so again i I told you guys the basic plot uh the way we engage with the nick cage persona with the nick cage energy is through the eyes of the super fan uh javi the uh the wealthy the wealthy man from spain who is played perfectly by pedro pascal so i did not know this see but uh a pleasant piece of trivia. Pedro Pascal has called Nicolas Cage his primary acting uh, influence. Oh, so this literally is a dream for him, too. That's maybe why yeah. they which, which is insane because, like, I mean, listen, I think Pedro Pascal is a great actor. But they, they're uh, nothing alike in acting style. They're nothing alike in acting style. And to see that Pedro Pascal has directly quoted, been quoted as saying, my primary acting influence is Nicolas Cage. You're like, well, that that's perfect casting right there. So Pedro Pascal plays this Nick Cage super fan, right? Mm-hmm. Who who has um who there's a there's kind of this uh uh he, he's not the antagonist, but his presence brings about the uh the conflict of the movie. He he's the yeah. conflict bringer, right? Yeah. Uh but but his primary his primary uh uh, uh, purpose because you know he, he is a character he's his own independent character but you know characters have a purpose to a story mm-hmm. and his purpose in this one is to have us in, he's the one who is like the audience surrogate of engaging with the Nick Cage 
uh, image, right? Mm. And, and he does it perfectly. He plays this super fan who sincerely loves um, uh, the way Nicolas Cage acts, the films he's been, um, the energy he gives out. Uh, early on in the film, we learn that there was a family tragedy and that the only, the only like, uh, well, it was not necessarily a family tragedy, but he, he, he was distant with his father and the way him and his father reconnected was through a Nick Cage film, a pretty obscure one, actually, or at least one that I've never seen. I was actually a little embarrassed during the when when me and C saw this film. I was very embarrassed. I was like, I've never heard of that movie. And I've, I'm not saying I've seen all of Nick Cage movies, but I at least know most of them. Or you uh, know of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which one was this one? Uh, do, you, do you remember the it's the, the one where he's apparently the the bodyguard for the first lady and. Yeah, her, and their and her daughter. Yeah. Um. What was the name of that film? Yeah, I couldn't remember, but I do, I do remember. He, I had heard of the movie, and it was just an early movie he did that was kind of also ridiculous. But it's before his ridiculousness fully came to be. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. Let me. I'm. I'm trying to trying to see if I can if I can find it. If not, you know, we'll we'll move on with the review. Um. I can't find it. I got it. They referenced a movie again where he plays a security guard, and that brought them closer together. Mm. And you know this this sincere show of of adoration from Javier to Nicolas Cage opens up Nicolas Cage from kind of his guarded position of being like this distant a lister or former a lister who doesn't really want to engage, who who feels embarrassed being at the party. To you mm. know, they develop a friendship and. I must say, and I think, see, you will agree with me, the chemistry between Pedro Pascal and Nicolas Cage is incredible. Oh, it's and, fantastic. And sets up for some of the biggest laughs in the film. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a sequence in the film where they are under the influence of drugs, and uh, they become very paranoid. And we, <laughs> see, we see it in the trailer. This is kind of where the wall scene happens. Yeah. And it is so funny. And what makes it isn't just that, you know, Nicolas Cage is being crazy, is that Pedro Pascal is matching that craziness like beat for beat in the most perfect complimentary way possible. Yeah. It, it was actually, in many ways, it's like a comedic version of The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's it's, it's, it's a version of that movie that's, that knows it's funny. Yes, exactly. I think that's that's the best way to put it. Um, so outside of Pedro Pascal, we also have uh, uh, Tiffany Haddish, who plays CIA agent Vivian. We have uh, Ike Barinholtz, who plays the Vivian's partner, Martin. And uh, we have, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember this woman's name, Sharon Horgan as Nick Cage's ex-wife, Olivia, and Lily Mo Sheen, uh, the daughter of Kate Beckinsale and uh, I believe it's Michael Sheen. Uh, it, it's, yeah, Michael it, Sheen. Yeah. That That's their daughter. She plays okay, Nicolas yeah. Cage's daughter. And, and then, of course, um, oh, my God, who plays his agent? It was great. Oh, uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick and He's amazing at oh, this yeah. role. He's not, he's not in it a lot. But no, no. He, he's basically he, he kind of see he, he appears. You see him like, I think, a total of three or four times. But his moments are just exactly when you want them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Sharon Horgan, I actually really like, uh, me and C first, like found out about her in the, uh, 2018 movie game night starring Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams. And she was very, very funny. 
she's also in this Amazon show called Catastrophe, which I've seen some episodes of, so I really recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she kind of plays, she's kind of the force that grounds the movie to something a bit more like not out there because, you know, every Nicolas Cage movie needs a grounding element and uh, the wife well, Olivia some plays of them that need element. The, some of them need it, but either the grounding element isn't nearly strong enough and it's not mm-hmm. even that actor's fault. It's just... Mm-hmm. How can you ground someone who goes around screaming, I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire. Yeah. Which, Anyways, which, yeah. which, by the way, just letting you guys know, uh, I don't think this is a spoiler, but don't expect any like crazy, crazy references to uh, to Nick Cage's movies in the sense of like like scene for scene recreations. No, yeah, yeah. You only get a few um, lines of dialogue that make certain references but i have a feeling the the writer actually did this out of respect because he didn't want to turn nick cage into a clown it genuinely is a love letter so yeah yeah. even the even the silly references are few and far between but Mm -hmm. when they happen they're glorious Mm -hmm. so i I know i talked about uh tiffany haddish and ike barinholtz and again they play the cia agents who recruit nick cage um, I'm, I'm just going to come right out and say it. I, I don't know if you'll agree with me. See, um, I do believe the whole CIA agents trying to catch this arms dealer element of the film was its weakest part. It was the weakest part, but it was necessary for the film. Well, okay. So, you know, for a film like this, which is a love letter to a, a certain a figure, Nicolas Cage, um, it's, it's a... You 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 engage with that you engage with that thematic element through character, right? Not mm-hmm. necessarily through plot. Um, but that being said, you know, <laughs> this is actually kind of funny. The film talks about how uh, Nick Cage, uh, or or not Nick Cage, uh, uh, Pedro Pascal's character Javi wants to write a script, and he talks about how he wants to write a script that's all about character. But then, like like through the movie. Nick Cage brings up that like, well, in Hollywood, you have to kind of encase it in the trappings of genre because that's how you get people to watch something. And like then that. that's literally what this movie did. Yeah. So basically, this movie is a love letter to Nicolas Cage, kind of in kind of framed framed up with uh, with a uh, kind of this secret agent uh, 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 arms dealer story, which is awkward at times. You know, I feel like. The way the film goes about justifying uh, justifying these elements to pop up in the movie is because they're like, well, we need a bad guy because mm-hmm. people, peop- mainstream audiences want a bad guy. And uh, we want to show or, or parody the action films of Nicolas Cage. Now, I can't seem to find the budget for this film, but it was probably not that big. No, it doesn't um, look too big. Yeah, this was shot in Croatia, which has... Uh, which has uh, film tax incentives. Mm. So they obviously didn't have a ton of money for this project. Um, and the action scenes that are on there, I thought were a little lacking. Mm. Um, so again, as I stated, this is Tom Gormican's second film. Mm-hmm. And you know his first film was basically a very standard rom-com. So knowledge of you know second unit directing, uh, uh, framing for action those are things that I wouldn't have expect him to have a big knowledge of it seems like he started his career as a writer and became a director uh, like like kind of like his primary his primary uh, f- way of working is as a writer mm-hmm. and 
when the there are action scenes, there are action sequences in these films, there are genre sequences in these films, and they're directed competently, but it's fine. The direction is fine. Yeah, the the direction when it comes to the genre elements of the film, they're they're fine, they're passable. But trust me, you've probably seen better in genre TV shows. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to the character stuff, that's that's where the directing really shines. Because, again, the director knows this is all about us engaging with the persona of Nicolas Cage, you know, mm-hmm. with the craziness, with with his his unique energy as a blockbuster director. Um, mm-hmm. There's a there's a sequence on here where. So not to get too into it. Nick Cage kind of talks to himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'll leave it. Li- 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 yeah, I'll leave it he, at that. He talks part. he talks to himself. But which not- I love how like when this when it happened, at least for me, I was like, well, yeah, obviously. Like this is <laughs> this makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um he talks to himself and it's so well directed like like the scenes play out so perfectly that it, those probably would have some of the harder laughs. When Javi is not, or Javi by Javi, I mean, uh, I mean Pedro Pascal. When Pedro Pascal is not in frame, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I love Nick Cage. I, I I love like that image he has. Uh, I would say that you know when I heard that he he had no desire to watch this film, and he usually is fine watching his films. Uh, he talked about that. I don't want to watch this film because there's nothing of me in this character. I'm mm-hmm. playing the figure my fans pop culture see me as and there's there's no element of myself in that and he only did this because the writer apparently managed to get a conversation with him arranged and explained that this truly was coming from a place of love honestly yeah yeah like it was not it is not mockery and i think Nick Cage was actually very smart in doing this. Yeah. Very smart. It's the equivalent of doing a very public roast, but with more dignity attached. Exactly. No, you're totally right, C. And and that that kind of, again, shows you. So, like, if somebody wanted to ask me, prove to me that Nick Cage is a good actor, I would have shown him Pig from last year. But Mm -hmm. I would also say the fact that you have Nick Cage being able to perfectly encapsulate kind of that meme image we have of him mm-hmm. is also gives him credit as his ability as an actor to see that he can do that you know even though he himself admits that nothing of that meme is him in real life you know yeah, he's, he's not he's not like that he's just for him he's just enthusiastic about a lot of things but he's not he doesn't view himself as an obsessive yeah yeah um so see do, do you have any like criticisms of the film you seem to really really like it so here's my thing can i give you my rating on it in in doing this yeah 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 go ahead go ahead so i give this on our scale i give it a movie but Mm -hmm. a good movie yeah and so my criticism is simply that it's not flush like here's a good here's a good example this movie i can draw a lot of comparisons uh to um the disaster artist honestly where it's mm, it's that's a it's, great point where it's it's a, a movie about actors about hollywood but about a very specific subgenre subculture or very specific element that was only known to a certain group generation of people so i draw i draw draw this from there now here's what i would say for me 
and I know people disagree with me, but for me, the disaster artist is flush because it not only brings about the, um, the comedy, but it also has a really, inc- a really good amount of heart in it too. Now there's arguments back and forth that it doesn't tell the full truth. I'm not here to make those arguments. As a movie alone, it has a lot of heart while being incredibly hilarious as well. So the thing is, this movie, the, um, the massive weight of unbearable talent, or the unbearable <laughs> weight of massive talent, sorry. You're good. Whoops. Um, it's very funny, and you see they had a lot of fun making it. You see there was heart put into it, but not all of that comes completely through. But again, what makes this a good movie is that it is chock full of these really funny moments and the knowledge that, you know, you can tell everyone had a great time making it. I can, I feel like I can always tell when people had fun making a movie. Now, so that's my criticism of it, though, is that it, it's amazing for what it is, but it also is what it is, and that's my criticism of it. So that's why it's a good movie, but a movie. So do you think its flaws lies in, its, in the screenplay, in the direction, or...? I think the biggest, its biggest, so its biggest strength is its script. It's a great script. Its flaws lie in a bit of the, in a bit of the, I wouldn't even say direction because the director, he directs the actors. Great, they nail it. the The weakness is in some of the shot design and in some some of the cinematography. Um, So that's its biggest weakness. I would say. One thing I'll add is the trailer makes it this movie looks insane, which it is, but it is not. The movie makes it look like you're going to about to sit down for something like scary movie or epic movie, and it's not quite on that level of crazy. It does draw a few degrees back from that. So I will say if you are expecting that, you'll be a touch disappointed, but I was hoping it wouldn't be that like that, and it wasn't. You know, see, so you got to give this movie some credit. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't even go so far to compare it to, to those god awful oh, no. movies. No, I'm not. I'm saying it wasn't that. Oh, That's okay. What I'm okay. So okay. let me clarify. I'm saying it's not those, but the trailer kind of makes it out to be like that a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think. No, I, I, I totally see your point. So, so yeah, my actually, I know you say that you, the, you, you really like the script. I like the character part of the script, the script that's all about exploring the idea of Nick Cage. And you the, have to give credit to the premise as well. I mean, no, dear Lord. Yeah. But everything involving, you know, the CIA, the arms dealer, all the genre stuff in, and the way the plot unfolds, I do think is really weak. I think Tom Gormican, again, he's only ever written one other thing or at least one other thing that got made. And it, I, I feel, I feel like, while his central idea is top notch, it's 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 it literally is like pure gold that this this premise, this log line of the film. Mm. I, I, I think the way he goes about kind of putting it within genre in order to sell it, you know, it's like this is a comedy about the craziness of Nick Cage. What? Mm. I, I can totally see a producer going like, well, what, how, how are we going to sell that? It goes like, well, it, it's going to be him being in like like trying to be a secret agent. Oh, okay. That's how we'll sell it. Um, I I, I, I feel, I really do feel like maybe, and I know he had a co-writer on this. I feel like maybe doing like, like a couple more passes just, or maybe bringing in someone who knows this type of genre of, you know, I know this sounds so weird to say, maybe because 
you know who did the whole like we're seek we're like undercover agents but we're out of our element you know who did that really well who uh the um the interview directed by seth rogan and um oh yeah and his writing okay. partner whose name escapes me i feel like if tom gormican got some pointers from them Mm-hmm. Then he would have been, a, or at least watch some more, uh, some more of these like spy comedies, which are out there, mm-hmm. or or just action comedies. I feel like on a script level, it would have just been so much stronger. And again, this is his second project, and all the Nick Cage stuff, like all the all the you know Pedro Pascal and Nick Cage kind of being friends, Pedro Pascal being a fanboy to Nick Cage, mm-hmm. and all all that stuff is well directed because he understands mm-hmm. what the movie is. Mm-hmm. But when it when it came down to doing, there's a sequence where he has to, like, secretly install like a virus to a security system. There's a sequ- There's obviously chase scenes. Uh, those oh, were that, the-, the virus sequence was pretty funny with the gag they put in. That was no, pretty good. It, it's it's funny, but I've just seen other directors. I've seen other films where they're able to do something similar, and it's just the shot design is more dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 um the the stunt choreography is more interesting to look at this one it's very pedestrian uh the chase scenes i thought were very pedestrian you know they like like there's one chase scene and it literally just feels that it's just i mean it is it's it's two guys running across a plane and two other guys following them but mm-hmm. you know someone like Someone like Edgar Wright knows how to make that dynamic and make you put your edge in the seat. Whereas I feel like Tom Gormican just kind of put a camera, had a wide shot, and then just did some couple close-ups. Um, you know, I really wish he had held off making this movie until he, until he really grew into directing. And I would actually somewhat disagree with you there. I think he needed to do something like this so that he could now make other things. Because if... We don't know what his next project would have been, but the his first project that movie came out a long time ago, so you That's can tell true. you can tell that it had taken him a while to get back into it. So I think mm-hmm. he actually needed to do something on this level of of, of a crazy premise mm-hmm. to get back into it because now this movie has given this director a state he now has a statement behind him. Before oh, yeah. the movie The Awkward Moment, it's like, "Oh yeah, I made that movie." It's like, "Well, no one cares, but yeah, not to sound mean, but no one does. And then keep in mind, he should be proud that he made a movie beforehand. But truly with this movie, it's like, oh, you made that Nick Cage movie. And then from there, he's oh. going to be able to do other things. No, no, I, I, I can tell I can totally see that argument. I just you know, it's one of those things where you see you see one part of a film or, or an element of the film that you're like, wow, this is great. This is top notch. This is top shelf scotch. And then, like, you see something else that's obviously... Nick Cage, choice of, by the way, that is Nicolas Cage's choice of drink. Yes, it is. Um, and then you see other elements of the film, like the action scenes or, or, or the things where, where we have to be reminded, oh, yeah, this is a genre picture, in this case, an action comedy, where you're like, oh, the director either doesn't really know how to shoot this or doesn't seem to be as interested in this as he is in this. We see that a ton in a lot of movies. And, again, like... To your to your point, see, I I actually think you're right. Like when you have a premise that's just this gold, which is, hey, let's make a movie about Nick Cage being the crazy Nick Cage. How do you not just immediately pitch that everywhere because you know someone's gonna buy it and say like, yes, yeah. let's make this. But oh, it's yeah. still one of those things that's like, uh, if or maybe if he like just gave the film to another, which I know he'd never do. This is probably a passion project of his. 
but like under a, a director with more experience knowing how to shoot genre you know like and listen i know i know like this is just wishful thinking but someone like i can't even think of anyone else who who would have been good to direct something like this but because you need a millennial to direct it anyone yeah. else wouldn't quite get yeah. this yeah they, no. they direct it and be like but i don't understand and because of that i don't understand yeah. no uh, their heart yeah. wouldn't be in it no yeah and yeah the the technical aspects would be good you know much more dynamic cinematography uh much more dynamic and and blockbuster scope editing and sequences but the the bread and butter of this which is you know uh pedro pascal and nick cage bonding over that craziness of nick cage would probably be like eh, lost lost yeah no this guy obviously you see where his passion lies in this story i'll and say this if this was in the hands of someone else who did like who didn't get it they would make nick cage a famous actor but not literally nick cage therefore de defeating the point of this movie no no you're right there you're right there I, I guess the thing is is that when you see something that's just so strong and so well done and then you see another element of the picture where you're like, oh, this this kind of not sucks, but it's kind of just mediocre or passable. Like, listen, I, I like Tiffany Haddish and I like Ike Barinholtz. But honestly, did you ever feel like those two were actually CIA agents? No, I admit. Right. They, yeah. they didn't, it didn't feel like it. Yeah. Like they 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 had a very lacking amount of equipment and they either did. Now, there's two ways you can handle that. You can have a few quick lines of dialogue acknowledging they don't have a lot because nobody believes them or like they're they're underfunded or you give them a lot of equipment. You don't give them very little and mm -hmm. then not show anything so that it just looks like you're trying to cut around her to be cheap. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or or you at least, you know, I think a, a, a easy and cheap visual way of doing it is that you have them kind of looking like secret agents at least somewhere in the film and they mm. never do they they literally look like a couple out for vacation which a little bit yeah yeah and and then the all the action scenes i mean i, I was never confused but I, I was always like this action scene kind of seems lacking which is frustrating because and i'm not going to go too into it they're one of the last jokes in the film nick cage is in an action movie and, and it's it's it, brilliant, by the way. Yeah, like I immediately was like, "Oh, this is this is an homage to to The Rock, right?" Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Well, if the if the filmmakers can do this, why didn't they just kind of shoot that like shoot that way for for the action parts of the movies?" But but I digress. I digress. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I I'm actually I think I, this problem is this the first time we've had like the same score. What did you give it? I'm giving this just it's a movie. It's 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 a it's a fun movie. It's a it's it's an entertaining movie. That that's my my score. It's an okay. entertaining so movie. So you give it an entertaining movie and I say it's a good movie, which is pretty close to the same thing at that yeah. point. So yes, this is the first time, ladies and gentlemen, that we have achieved the same score. Yeah, no, this this is an entertaining movie. You don't need to go out to the theater to see this. No, unnecessary. Yeah. If you want, if you want to, go ahead. You know, you don't lose anything. But if you like, you don't really, really can't gain make anything it, either. Yeah, you gain nothing from seeing in theaters. Like, yeah, truly, you can you can wait till this ends up on a streaming service. But it should be watched at some point, especially if you are a millennial who knows about even one of the Nicolas Cage memes. Yeah, um, like I, I was actually going to say, um, you know, there's always there's always those types of movies where uh, how, how would I say where you're like, oh, you know, it's it. There's nothing epic in scope about this. This is shot on a very exotic location, 
but we never get like those sweeping shots, you know. We get we get one at one point, but it's yeah. of his house, yeah. not the actual town. Yeah, and and the sound design is very. I don't want to say simple because that sounds like I'm trashing it. It's it, it's very standard where you're like, oh, you know, a simple like 5.1 system, you know, your goal, your goal. So, yeah, mm-hmm. on a technical level, this film does not merit being seen on a big screen unless you're like a Nick Cage super fan, which case, please watch this because, you know, you want to support one of your favorite actors. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, this is definitely a movie where like the family can get together and be like, oh, let's watch something, you know, that that's funny, uh, that. That's funny. That's accessible, and that's has a little bit of weirdness to it because this film does have some weirdness to it. You know, right. it has it has to because it's about Nick Cage. Um, Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal are th- the characters in this movie. Everyone else kind of they they just have a they they just have a purpose to be in the film. They're not necessarily fully well rounded characters, and that's okay because again, this is a character study on Nick Cage, uh, wrapped in a action comedy uh, wrapping paper, which. You know, you can take it or leave it. Um, but yeah, for me, this is an entertaining movie. You can watch at home. You can buy it on Blu-ray. You can wait for it when it gets on the streaming service or rent it when it gets on the streaming service. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is, gets really, really popular on Redbox. Yeah, I can see that a lot. I can see this having... So a lot of movies have like this massive second life in streaming and DVD sales and all kinds of stuff like that. And 10 years down the line, that does inevitably create a sequel. It, where this is how, That's how cult hits nowadays are born. So I can actually see like 10 years down the line, they decide to bring everybody, they, they, do, they do a version of this movie where it's like, we're bringing the band back together. Nicolas Cage is still around doing his stuff. I can see that happening in I, like I, 10 years. I, I would say I could... Well, I can see that, you know, that, hey, Stranger Things have been have had sequels than this movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like it's it's one of those things where it 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 does what it sets out to do. Um, it does it well. The other things that's not as important as what it's setting out to do are done passably. But enough, it, it like not so bad enough that it that it diminishes the main point of this film, which is the love letter to Nick Cage. So. So yeah. Also, no. for the record, in the audience, there were multiple people, including ourselves, laughing out loud at many times. Oh no! Make no mistake, this movie is funny. Like, uh, especially with the interactions between uh, Pedro Pascal and Nicolas Cage, this movie is very, very funny. I, I, I had a couple like gut wrenching laughs myself because of how funny it is. It's just again, I, I feel like I always have to just reiterate that it was the action comedy elements or the action elements, the genre mm-hmm. elements, where I was like. Uh, this this could be done better, but you know, ultimately that's not the point of the film. The point of mm-hmm. the film is to show you the caginess of the cage. <laughs> um, oh, one one thing I do love is that, um, and it's a very subtle joke, but C did catch on to it. Uh, he, he is referred to as Nicholas Cage like once or twice in this film, but he very much is Nick Cage. And that there's mm-hmm. there's a subtle humor to that, and when you see the credits, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, pay close, pay very close attention to how he is credited for playing himself. It's very important, and if you don't get it, do a quick Google search with that name, and you'll figure out why. Also, one other thing, um, they do a great homage to uh, leaving Las Vegas. That it's so well done that I really wish they had done something similar like throughout the rest of the film with his other films, but I'll take what I can get. Oh yeah. 
yeah no i'll definitely take what i can get so yeah no this is what do you think with uh, al and c i'm al i'm c till next time good night everybody